How would they die, do you think? From the poison? Yes. I don't know. Does it take a long time? I suppose it depends on how much you give them. Is it painful? I really don't want to think about it. No. No, 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 no. Of course not. We don't want our conscience to get the best of us, do we? It's something that has to be done. And when something has to be done, you do it. Is your coffee too hot? I saw him. And we are back. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is the part of the show where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So we're starting a new year of Contrarian's goodness, a new year of Contrarian's patron goodness as well. Uh, We have new collections for you patrons to look at. If you log on the app or the website, you'll see that we, as mentioned a few episodes ago, finally went ahead and collected all the bonus episodes we have there by year. So you have Contrarian's Patron year one, year two, and year three for your perusal uh, without having to do searches. It's just like all nicely organized. Uh, that's available to everybody. Starting on the ground floor, the dollar tier, the Travolties. Uh, you get access to all those bonus episodes. This month's bonus episode, the newest addition to that list, is going to be the movie Nosferatu, Alex. The is it the original vampire movie? Yeah, I, I know it's one of the earliest ones, but I don't want to. I don't want to commit yeah, to it. Call from nineteen twenty-two. So I mean, it's a safe bet that there weren't too many beforehand. But yeah, it's that's certainly a genre where I could say that, and someone like, well, actually, and. Uh, <laughs> Well, vampires, black and white. This is coming to us courtesy of patron Jordan Mance, who also gave us the Planet of the Apes QVR last month. And this one is also a movie that's on his top 100 of all time. So It's also one of those movies that's in public domain, so the entire movie is on its Wikipedia page. Oh, man. <laughs> that's great. All of you have no excuse not to watch Nosferatu before our bonus episode. <laughs> Uh, also, on the Travolti tier, uh, you have access to all the stuff that doesn't make it to our episodes on the cutting room floor segments. So if you're curious about what what spicy conversation didn't make it to the original Sin final cut, well, that's going to be on the Patreon channel. Now, if you want more content, then you move up a tier. The Winonis, the $3 tier and upwards, you get access to our pre-recording notes. You get access to our quick video reviews. Uh, this month, we're doing another dual quick video review, Alex. We have a couple of those left over from the patron takeover. And this is uh, from patron Sachin, who wants us to revisit A Good Day to Die Hard. It's been years since we covered it on the show. Shameful. <laughs> this is Sachin gave us four brothers. So we really can't be too upset. That's fair. That was a good episode. That was a fun movie to watch. And now, who knows, Alex, maybe we're different people now. It was pre-COVID when we watched uh, A Good Day to Die Hard for the show a long time ago. So maybe now we'll find it as a delightful romp. It'll definitely pivot to me talking about how funny Jai Courtney is and what Hot American Summer. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll be all right. All right, so that's a quick video review. And then, of course, you also have access to Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we are watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. So, Alex, we have a very special After Hours this time. Yes, we do. We're making the rare jaunt to the theater together. It's, It's cinema, baby. Marty Scorsese has a movie on the big screen, as he usually does. And not to be watched on our telephones. Uh, but yeah, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, which is based on a book by the same title. Does Marty still have the fastball? Is he still uh, able to step up to bat when it calls for it? Is he going to uh, rival Nolan's? Like the Nolan experience that we had very recently with Oppenheimer, our most recent 
event movie that we went to see together. All these questions will be answered on the after all, hours. All these and more. All yeah. these and more. Uh, and then if you're wondering how do you become one of those patrons that tells us what to watch well that's what the $5 tier and the $10 tiers are for so just go to our patron page patreon.com slash contrarian prime look at the tiers and see if you would like to join the contrarian supplements yes $1, $3, $5 and $10 as Julio just outlined $1 gets you in on the ground floor Uh, we have our previous projects over there such as our Roxena mega series we did detailing not only their record-breaking rivalry in the professional wrestling world, but also uh, detailing the film careers of both men. It's a doozy. I think we clocked in about 12 hours in total on that series, and uh, you're not going to find any coverage anywhere else on the internet more uh, thorough and researched than uh, our mini-series on The Rock versus John Cena, and also our four-part series from earlier this year on the life and times and career of Miss Lindsay Lohan. That was got We got some good feedback on that, and that was a lot of fun to do. And I know I had been teasing recently some news about some potential upcoming projects, so we'll go ahead and discuss that now. We have three potential projects on the back burner, back burners, irons in the fire. So, I uh, wouldn't call these tiers. How would we say this? Um, goals. Goals. There you go. Good one. Uh, so, we have three potential projects set at goals in terms of when we hit a certain number of patrons. So, honestly, by the time this is published, we, we could possibly be at the first goal, which is to hit the number 30 for uh, patrons because we're right on the edge there. Uh, once we hit 30 patrons... Julio and I will begin a series, which I have dubbed From Silk Sheets to the Silver Screen. (laughs) We will be looking at, in a six-part series, the attempts of pornographic actors to transition into mainstream film. Uh, We'll be doing this through the David Cronenberg film from 1977, Rabid, the 1986 John Frankenheimer film, 52 Pickup, there's a 1999 French art house film written and directed by Catherine uh, Brilliant uh, titled Romance. Obviously, one of the most uh, widely available and known examples would be The Girlfriend Experience, the Steven Soderbergh film from 2009. And we will be moving from there, Julio. It's come to pass. Inherent Vice will make its way to Contrarian's canon. Oh, God. I was very excited about this until we hit this part. <laughs> <laughs> And then we will be closing with The Other Side of the Wind, the Orson Welles film that uh, was thought to be lost, in, uh, incomplete, what have you, and that uh, actually was found, resurfaced, and released on Netflix in the year 2018. Now, Julio, one thing I'm not going to do, with the exception of the girlfriend experience, because everyone knows that's that Sasha Gray is the star of that film, uh, I'm not going to tell you the connection or who the actor or actress is in these movies that we cover. That'll be part of it is uh, up to you to figure it out or for you to guess rather. Uh, And same thing for our audience there. um, If anyone's going to be watching along with us to not give away right away who the, uh, the topic of discussion will be. Now, those are the six movies that would go to patron. The, bonus that would come to the main feed with this project would be the 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger film The Running Man. So we <laughs> I think would, it's 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 fair to let everybody know that I, I I knew about the concept, I did not know the lineup. <laughs> so I'm just aren't like, you fired up now? These are like really big names. Like I, I think no, you told me about Orson the Orson Welles movie because I've I've actually seen that, and uh, and you always bring up the girlfriend experience, so that doesn't surprise me. But uh, man, we got PTA, we got uh, John uh, Frankenheimer, John Frankenheimer, <laughs> David Cronenberg. Yeah, Cronenberg. I mean, we've had him uh, before, and that's that's great. And and then. I guess some artsy French director. This is this is a big deal. Who directed The Running Man? The Running Man was Paul Michael Glazer. Okay, written by S- Stephen De Souza. Well, there you go. That's like an all-star uh, endeavor here. Uh, and as of this recording, we are four patrons away. So yeah, let's let's get it done. 
So we will undertake that project at 30 patrons at 40. Julio and I will sit down and record commentary tracks for each one of the Friday the 13th films. Uh, just my way of finally getting Julio to sit down and watch uh, Friday the 13th part three and uh, to learn along with all of us about Shelley and how he deserved to die uh, <laughs> for being just so annoying. And then at 50 patrons, I know that's a lofty goal, uh, but we're making it worth the while because it would be a year long project. We will cover every one of the Saturday Night Live based feature films. So that would be the Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, Coneheads, Wayne's World 2, It's Pat, Stuart Saves His Family, Blues Brothers 2000, A Night at the Roxbury, Superstar, The Ladies Man and MacGruber. Now, I don't know if you were keeping track on your hands there, Julio. That does add up to 11 films. Now, because let's just go, we can make this a whole year-long project. We got to throw another one in there. And if we got to throw one in, I'm going to the tried and true combo of Chris Farley and David Spade, and we will be adding Tommy Boy to that lineup. Again, this would be similar to our Lohan or Roxena series in terms of deep dives and discussing Saturday Night Live. It, it would go beyond just the uh, bounds of reviewing the movie. So that's why we've kind of set that at the, the highest tier for right now. I, I, I like the way that our, our patron has been growing. It's like slow but steady. So I, I can see how this this will pace itself well. So uh Obviously, if you're already a patron, you already did your part. All you have to do is uh, stay subscribed. <laughs> if you're not a patron, this should be the thing that maybe pushes you to being a patron. Just any tier will do. We're just counting the number, not the not the amount of money. And we promise you, it's worth it. Uh, if you don't believe us, ask our newest patron, Paul Prisula, our friend from the Countdown podcast. He finally took the plunge, joined the Contrarian Supplements. Be like him. Follow Paul into the madness that is our patron channel. <laughs> uh, and then as we close out here, I do want to make it clear. Uh, these projects, we'll be making reference to them on our social media, but I don't want anyone to worry about this is something we're going to talk about every time we do our patron pitch. just wanted to go ahead and explain what we're looking at here. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll post some regular reminders, but uh, the word's out, so spread it. Now, Alex, let's go back in time again to the early 1900s, to talk about love and lust. Let's do. Shall, shall we just I mean, play the game or just speak the truth? Yeah. The truth is best. All right. All right, Julio. It's time to talk about how we really feel about original sin. The original sin. I'm mad it didn't have a the in the title. <laughs> They talked to Sean Parker. <laughs> yeah, he cleaned it up for him. Oh, boy. Just to reiterate our bullet points, July 11th, 2001, France release. August 3rd, 2001, United States release. 12% on Rotten Tomatoes. Estimated budget between 26 and 42 million. Box office trend of less than 36. I guess let's just start with who liked it. Roger and Ebert, but we'll save that one for last. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so got three other quotes besides Ebert's. I'm going to start with Michael W. Phillips Jr. from Go Dogs Movies, who says, I was pleasantly surprised by how enjoyable this movie was. So he went in expecting it not to be enjoyable. He went in to hate watch it. It's always a weird one. Based on the poster, I, I guess I haven't seen the trailer. Have you seen the trailer? No. Uh, I, I guess I hadn't before I fired up the DVD, but I... Uh, I mean, yeah, it just it was one of those erotic thrillers. We spent a whole season doing those. So, <laughs> why would you be pleasantly surprised that it was enjoyable to see Angelina Jolie and Antonio Banderas all over each other? I mean, that's all you could really ask for. <laughs> yeah, it was like as uh, what did they say when it's like when something is exactly as advertised as seen on TV. <laughs> 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 I ordered your product, and it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, all right, Edward Johnson Ott from Nouveau News Weekly says, the movie is entertainingly bad. So this guy is on the so bad it's good camp. I was too until at a certain point. It's probably the same point for me. <laughs> uh, Jim Lane from Sacramento News and Review says, Thomas Jane adds a layer of ambiguous spice. 
what would be an ambiguous spice? Like mm. his sexuality? Is that what he's talking about? Oh, no. I meant like actually on the spice shelf. Like what's something that doesn't overpower something? Oh. Maybe if you just use like a pinch of paprika, not a whole lot of it, that would be a ambiguous spice. Chili, uh, chili powder. Like Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. It's a calling card. Yep. <laughs> All right. And then we get to the big one. The big boy. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. It's an exuberant example of what it is. A bodice-ripping murder meller. And at that, it gets a passing grade. What the hell is a meller, Roger Ebert? M-E-L-L-E-R. Well, let's see. Melodrama. Oh, now I feel dumb. (laughs) I didn't. I've never heard that uh, term used for it either. So, because they even use the the term melodrama in the movie. Could have just gone for it. And I'm going to raise the stakes. I'm just going to take you up one more. And we're going to go to Ebert's full review from August 3rd of 2001. Three-star review. The first shot on the screen is a close-up of Angelina Jolie's lips and what lips they are, plump and pouting and almost bruised. Eventually, we tear ourselves away from the site and realize she's talking. She's telling the story of why she happens to be in a jail cell. These flashbacks will eventually reveal that she has been condemned to death by garroting, a nasty way to go, as the executioner turns a screw to tighten an iron collar around your neck. This prologue undermines any romantic illusions as the story itself begins circa 1900, introducing us to a wealthy Cuban coffee planner named Luis Durand. This is, of course, Antonio Banderas, who participates, who anticipates the arrival of a mail order bride named Julia Russell. Handsome and rich, he has never married in uh, parentheses. Love is not for me. Love is for those people who believe in it. His expectations for the bride are realistic. She's not meant to be beautiful. She's meant to be kind, true, and young enough to bear children. You don't recognize me, do you? Julia murmurs in a thrilling low register as she finds her standing before him at the dock. He does not. This sultry vision is not the plain woman in the photograph he holds. She confesses she sent the wrong photos because she did not want a man who was attracted only to her beauty. He confesses, too. He owns his plantation is not simply a worker there. He didn't want to attract a gold digger. Then we have something in common, she says. Neither one of us can be trusted. Actually, he can. Original Sin (laughs) is based on the novel Waltz into Darkness by the famous noir writer Cornell Woolrich. Another one of his books inspired Hitchcock's Rear Window. And indeed, this one was earlier filmed as Mississippi Mermaid by Francois Truffaut in 1969. Like many good thrillers, it really gets rolling after we think we've already seen through the plot. There are surprises on top of surprises, and I will tread carefully to preserve them. The purpose of the movie is not really to tell its story anyway, but to use it as an engine to pull Banderas and Angelina Jolie through scenes of lurid melodrama, dramatic ultimatums, and stunning revelations. Another purpose is to show off how these two splendid human beings, and I am happy to report that there is even a certain amount of nudity, which you would expect (laughs) with this passionate story, but then again, you never know. Now that studios are scurrying into the shelter of the PG-13 to hide from pruny congressmen. Get him, Raj. <laughs> this is the man who liked Crash. <laughs> Joe Lee continues to stalk through the picture entirely on her own terms. Her presence is like a daria for a man. There's a dialogue in this movie so overwrought it's almost literally unspeakable. And she survives it by biting it <laughs> off contemptuously and spitting it out. She makes no effort to pretend to be a nice woman, not even at first when Lewis believes her story. She's the kind of woman who looks at a man in the eye and tells him what she wants and how soon she expects to get it. Banderas skillfully plays up to this quality. Spaniel-eyed, love-struck, so overwhelmed he will follow her literally anywhere. This movie is not intended to be subtle. It is sweaty, candlelit, melodrama, joyously trashy, and its photography wallows in sumptuous decadence. The ending is hilariously contrived and sensationally unlikely as the movie audaciously shows an unrevocable action and then revokes it. (laughs) I don't know whether to recommend Original Sin or not. It's an exuberant example of what it is. A bodice-ripping murder meller. And at that, it gets a passing grade. 
Maybe if it had tried to be more, it would have simply been watering the soup. So, Son that's of a, a bitch. <laughs> he convinced me. Five stars. <laughs> that's a classic Ebert review. I mean, three stars, so that's high on his list. But he does a really good job of explaining like what we do when we come across a movie that's not good, but it's like, this is why I like it. So, I thought it was a really good review. Yeah, I, I like it too. I think that he... You know, I think I mentioned before, sometimes you could see why when a movie would get on his good side over something specific. And uh, I used to, for example, think that if a movie was visually impressive, he was more likely to be forgiving of its flaws if he was just like blown away by what they were doing visually. I think I remember, um, I mean, not that Pixar movies needed the slack, but, you know, like something like Pixar would just blow his mind and he would be very complimentary of that over other aspects of the movie and so on. And sometimes I would feel like, okay, Ebert, calm down, but what about the story, right? Yeah. And and I think that we may have stumbled upon another thing that, that really tickles his fancy, and that is just, I guess, bold depictions of sexual acts. <laughs> <laughs> just nudity and I, I i get what he's where he's coming from right and especially now that we are his review his take on crash is part of our mythology this shows mythology now because you know the whole hooey thing yeah. and he he appreciates that right he appreciates movies that treat sex sexuality as, as not as something that you need to be ashamed of or as something that that Maybe we should kind of like look the other way. It's like, no, sex happens and, and we we should show it. And if we're going to show it, we should show it without like being silly or prudish about it. And so I guess when keeping that in mind, that surprised me that Original Sin started with a good foot for him, right? He's like, oh, yeah, two really hot people get married. Of course, they're going to have wild sex. I'm glad that they're showing it to us. Yeah. And from then on, you know, he's he's more likely to forgive everything else that happens after. Wonderful. Wonderful. Disgusting. Cheap melodrama. I had a different experience, though, and I don't know if it's because it's been built up in my head for so long. I was kind of underwhelmed by the <laughs> by the sex scenes here. The 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 one sex scene, because really there's nothing else, you know, everything else is implied, or you just kinda like see the aftermath or the beginning. But there's just that one big sex scene that's not even a centerpiece, you know, it happens early on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, they're they're obviously great looking and it's well shot, but it might be that in the 20 years since, when a movie's wanted to be explicitly about sex, it's gone so much further than that. This is just like, oh, well, I mean, it's there, but I don't know. I might, how did you feel, Alex? Because if it was built up for me, I mean, in your head, it must have been even worse because you actually had seen the, the, that scene. And so you've had even more time to develop a connection to it that could have been. <laughs> you know, it's going to be even more of a backlash to see it in the context of the movie. Um, and- I, yep. I didn't have any sentimental. Well, I guess from the perspective <laughs> of like just beaten off, like I was getting paid to do it when I was younger. But <laughs> I would be curious to compare the two because I was watching it today and I was like, good Lord. Like, uh, really? Well, I, I think the version I watched is significantly like the scenes longer than what you watched. And yeah, I, uh, that's probably the case. But even, I mean, okay, so I'll tell you what I saw. I saw like. Sorry, Lars know. von Trier didn't direct this, Julio. <laughs> even, you know, we did. Well, no, I don't want to go keep going back to Crash, cause especially that's like a blue is the warmest color. That, that's actually a really good comparison because that's a movie where also the the sexual component of the relationship is very important for the way that the story plays out and and this is the same right i i think that the purpose behind that first sex scene between them is to establish to really without a shadow of of a doubt that this man that's the moment where he just lost his mind right this you have to give me a sex scene that is so mind-blowing that i'm going to by that like i never questioned why he's doing what he's doing i was like oh yeah did you see that sex scene that's why you know and it works in the sense that well angelina jolie is super hot and she's very charismatic and so i could even buy it without the sex scene but the fun 
of the movie should be that I can always go back to that sex scene and pinpoint, oh yeah, you know, that is that is where it happened. That was the, from here on, it's just a snowball that that's just rolling downhill. And I, I didn't feel that. I mean, it just felt like a kind of it was kind of tame. Like he's I'm gonna I don't want to sound crass or, or but but you know, it's like he's on top of her most of it. You know what I mean? Like that is kind of really missionary. That's what we're going with. Like for for the the sex scene that's supposed to change his world. Like that's fair. And you know, I I jested a lot about it leading into this with my adolescent attachment to Angelina Jolie. But it's kind of like anything. You know, it's been topped at this point. But it's still I from the version I watched, I was still kind of uh, taken aback by its intensity. Uh, Director Michael Christopher said in interviews and in his commentary for the movie that before the sex scene between Lewis and Julia was filmed, Angelina Jolie told him that she would only film the scene if she was fully naked without any tape or anything covering her up. Antonio Banderas (laughs) also decided to do the scene fully naked after talking with them. And only Christopher and a couple of the crew members were involved in the filming. This meant that a lot of footage filmed for the scene, however, could not be used in the film because it was too graphic and explicit to show on screen. Christopher said he was unable to even include it in the NC-17 unrated version, (laughs) which is why in all versions of the film, the sex scene has very obvious cuts, which are covered with editing and fade outs in between the shots. This was also where the rumor started about how Jolie and Banderas had unsimulated sex, which was said to have been another reason for why the scene was cut down. Christopher said that he still had copy of the original cut of the film, which amongst other deleted scenes also included the original uncut sex scene. So Michael Christopher, you know, it just rainy rainy day a rainy day you light a candle you fire up the 35 millimeter and watch the original cut of uh, original sin um that is one of those things that's like so fucking stupid though we've talked about that before of like if you have a movie and a guy has like a prosthetic penis and you know does something with it that's fine but if it's the real deal then it's pornography and i understand you could like somehow define that but you know how silly that sounds on paper you know what i mean I, I I just find it hilarious that Angelina Jolie goes, oh, okay, look, I'm only doing it if I'm naked. And then Banderas is like, can I be naked too? As Yeah, as if anyone was going to be like, no. <laughs> I always think of it. That is insane. I know. It's tremendous. Um, I did find an interview with Antonio Banderas talking about it, which kind of dispels some of the eroticism I just built up there. It's not just being afraid of our bodies, I guess the love scene, because there was only one love scene in the movie was shot over a couple hours. No more than that. I figured we did no more than three takes. That's what he told cinema.com on the press circuit for this. Cause I am, as I found in my research, that was of course, all people wanted to talk about at press junkets and (laughs) any media opportunity they got. Uh, We didn't want to have to do, that kind of love scene in which it doesn't show anything but looks very stylish. Then he did an interview with Daily Mail in 2007 where he came forward that it wasn't as awesome as it may have seemed on, uh, you know, just from what we've talked about so far. Doing a sex scene with Angelina Jolie was the same as doing a, a scene where I have to fall off a horse, he said. You have to make it look real, but it isn't. We had to do a very intense sex scene in Original Sin, but of course it's nothing like the way it looks on screen. I couldn't touch her because she had tattoos everywhere and they had covered it up with makeup. So I had to not touch it to dislodge it. He continued. And when there are 150 guys around you and every 20 seconds, they shout cut and then mess your hair up and position your arms. It's just not that sexy. Cry me a fucking river. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sorry that your job includes being naked. With, with Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. Yes, with Angelina fucking Jolie. That's, uh, I did think that was just funny because I can just see him, you know, 2007. So he's not modern Antonio with the gray beard, but he still, you know, <laughs> had the slicked back hair. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> but three takes only. Like after three takes, he just, he was flaccid. Couldn't do it anymore. And then on her side of it, because it sounds like a lot of what's, she was met with was the rumors 
of the them like having an affair or some shit uh because obviously she was heaven for tabloids is you know the mm-hmm. brad pitt thing that would come in the following years uh there was an interview she did with abc news august 2nd 2001 so right in the lead up to its release where it uh came up of like hey you know what's the deal you guys really going at it she said you're talking about a man who is deeply in love with his wife and married he has beautiful children with her and they're such a great family and i am madly in love with my husband we have such great such a great relationship and the idea that either one of us would want anything more than our marriages is really insulting and angering you can hear in that deep angelina julia voice mm-hmm. uh that's that's cool that she was able to like speak like say her piece there but it's also kind of like you know it's it's the kind of thing i understand why she has to answer it but it's it's like they don't even deserve to like th- those questions don't deserve to be dignified with answers <laughs> i'll be like oh, ab- absolutely can and we then, talk about the movie or can you fuck off no shit can we talk about the the coffee scene because that's really good um, <laughs> and just to close it here on the infamous or famous sex scene, depending on your point of view. She credits their love scenes for stirring up gossip in the first place. She said, you know, they'd pick up on that and a lot of other things they can't talk about because it's a thriller and there are secrets. And so you can't talk about the other things. And so the obvious aspects of it is that there's, it's a very passionate film. I didn't want to do a sexy movie. That wasn't what I was out to do. I wanted to film about characters and explore why different things come out in different ways in our life. So she took the interview, took control back over it. I am only curious to know what exactly is your business at my wife's door. Your wife? That's, I mean, I don't know. See, I don't remember enough or anything really about when this movie came out. So in my mind, and this can be completely inaccurate, in my mind it was marketed around the The, the poster sex. is them naked, like holding each other. <laughs> okay, so I didn't make it up. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's... I get what she's saying. Obviously, that the, the marketing, the promotional materials, all that stuff was not made by the time that she signed up to to make the movie or when she was making the movie. And so I can see how actors can sign up for something like this and then think, yeah, well, we're doing a thriller that happens to have a sex scene mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning. And then they're in the structure of the movie. They know that sex scene is important. So they, they shoot it, you know, in a very powerful way, or at least they try to. And then the studio just markets it around that and not anything else that happens. I get the point of, well, it's kind of a mystery, so you don't want to give away a lot. But, I mean, I think you can probably, you can sell me this movie without really focusing on the sex. Yeah. Right? Like, just the fact that you have Antonio Banderas and Gio Jolie and uh, to a certain extent Thomas Jane. I mean, I don't think he's that big of a star, you know, compared to them. But still, like, that should be like them in a love triangle. And there's things are not what they seem. That's all you have to do. Like 30 seconds. I'm in, you know, or as in as I could be. Uh, not as in as so Antonio Banderas. No. <laughs> but yeah, the, the marketing material, like the poster and everything, is just so evocative of fucking Last Tango in Paris. And, those, you know, the, the French art house movies that kind of dominated the 90s that were all about, you know, sex unsimulated sex or you know sex drives the the whole narrative of it and i mean this movie is also the lewis character is just driven by how his lust powers him and i know they keep saying like in love but the way that what the movie shows is that it's just all about how hot angelina jolie is and just how i use the thing siren on the water that's what she that's literally what she is in um beowulf she's the (laughs) which there's again i've talked enough about how beautiful she is and just her very unique look but that is perfect casting someone like that who can drive you crazy in that way so that part of it works but then there's the sexual aspect of it with the bobby character that's so problematic and so gross that anything that conjures up sexiness from the antonio banderas side of the equation is 
not only canceled out, but completely just eviscerated by the whole Thomas Jane storyline. So we've had a lot of fun so far with this. And I think <laughs> there is some uh, that that had to be discussed. The sex scene in this is famous slash infamous, and there is a story to it. So we covered that. So now, you know, having fun with that, we do get to the actual movie. Julio, this is uh, not what I would call a good movie. Agreed. My last note is this movie sucks. My last note is LOL fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When did it lose you? You said you were having fun and then it lost you. And was this after the poker game where I was already out by that point? Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that that was like all the way in, but that's a moment where I just like I, I. said in Contreras Corner, that's that's the moment where I turn on the movie. I was like, okay, you you crossed the line. You know, we were having fun with the the ridiculous uh, schemes and double crosses and all this stuff, and now you just there. I mean, and I think we've talked about it at some point. Oh well, there's fucking showgirls, right? I like was, that movie I is, literally took the words out of my mouth for all the hypersexualization we've talked about. We haven't talked about showgirls yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Showgirls is a movie that goes further, I think, with the the pushing the sexual envelope. It doesn't matter because it doesn't work. And then, but <laughs> to the to the specific comparison to Original Sin, like that movie, it like it is what it is, and then it becomes something much uglier at towards the end when there's a, one of the characters is sexually assaulted and it's brutal and you see it, and, it, and then it goes back to trying to be this campy dumb story and it just doesn't work and here it was like it's a lot less graphic uh but yeah. it's still just horrible and even worse i think well not as worse, just as bad maybe the idea that angela jolie is basically raped by these four guys and she like there is no real consequences of that you know what i mean like her character doesn't change it's not like showgirls is the right example of just what a fucking lazy trope and an offensive one because like again not as bad as showgirls because here it's all implied we don't it's not graphically laid out in detail but it's for this movie you're gonna take and introduce a trope like that that has caused like actual pain for untold amounts of people Uh, and you know you kind of were having a little bit of fun up until that point it it did offend me and, you know, I, That's I usually thing. don't get offended with movies and, you know, you and I have pretty thick skin when it comes to this stuff, but I was, I was just like, fuck off. Yeah. It's, it is like I said, the, the one, two punch of, because not that I'm going to praise showgirls in any case, but at least in showgirls, you know, there's a follow up to what happens It's like, because that happens, then there's the next scenes that, that, that take place, have Elizabeth Berkeley acting on that information and you uh-huh. know going for revenge and all that stuff here that doesn't even like you could remove that scene from the movie and you wouldn't know that Angelina Jolie has gone through this really traumatic experience she's just the exact same character that she was before it happened and it's just so bizarre it, 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 i i don't understand why it is in the movie I, I don't understand why they felt the need to put it there like in Gautier's corner i made the point that i think is what they're trying to make which is that we need to see how ugly her world is so that she can decide that, okay, there's no way that we can make it work. I'm just going to get him hurt. Well, yeah. you can make that point without her being raped. You know, you can get, they just beat him up and that's it. And you're right. It is a movie where we're supposed to be having fun. It's like, if you're asking me to take this movie seriously, then then it doesn't work at all. Like for, for this movie to work, I have to just be having fun and laughing at the ridiculousness of everything that's happening. And I can't do that the moment that you have these four dudes decide they're going to take out their debts on Angelina Jolie and close the door. And it's just like, it's horrifying. So yeah. it's just, it's just so tone deaf. It doesn't work at all. I, at that moment, I just, I, I was like, I don't care what happens next. Like this movie can't recover from that, but, but you were lost already. Like when did it lose you? <laughs> uh, it, it didn't recover. Uh, the scene where he, the jump scare where he is in her room and pulls the gun out. The acting in that scene is so bad that I was like trying to figure out what could have like gone wrong. And, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about plenty of shit like that before, be it um, Man of Steel makes Amy Adams seem like a bad actress. Uh, you know, I, I went off on uh, Dark Phoenix makes Jessica Chastain seem like she doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. And in this, 
all jokes aside and like opinions aside on this movie, Angelina Jolie, Antonio Banderas, elite level actors. And that scene is so weird because they're like yelling at each other and she's like kind of crying. And then he really hits her. And there are movies where a level of intensity like that can take something from one level to the next. Uh, for the sake of exhausting the blue is the warmest color card, I'll go to uh, the the master has. I mean, Joaquin hits himself, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's not technically the same thing. But uh, walk the line also when he fucking bangs his head off the wall. Channing Tatum in Foxcatcher when he drives his head through the mirror and almost fucking hit a stud would have probably broken his neck. There's, I'm not the road. Yes. That's a good example, too. I'm curious. I can't remember if he actually like belted her or not, but this is clearly he hits her like four times. And this ain't the movie that is necessary to have Michael Christopher tell Antonio Banderas, I really need you to slap the shit out of her. And I don't know if that's me just getting older. It's if it's me watching so many movies and understanding like when something's necessary and when something's not because it, Nothing that happens in this is going to take it to like best picture category. So, <laughs> liar! See? Yes! Yes! Don't you see? Yes! Don't you see? Don't you see? I cannot breathe without you. The first hour, I was in that mindset that you and I get sometimes doing these all too often. We're like, what are people talking about? This isn't that bad. Yep. And then something will happen and, you know, kind of completely, oh. Uh, the first hour of it, it's just a dumb, it's late and you can't sleep and it's what's on TV, you're watching it and, you know, maybe you'll see some boobs and there's some kind of funny back and forth dialogue because it's written so poorly that it comes off as just silly and uh, and then it just all derailed. And then on top of that, so it wasn't even a one-two, it was a fucking jab straight left hook to the liver because it went, <laughs> the scene of bad acting and hitting the dick comedy, which (laughs) that's not anywhere else to be found in this movie. It's fourth cousin. Isn't where anywhere else to be found in this movie. (laughs) And then the scene of assault, I was just like, all right, fuck this. And then, yeah, like uh, kind of in line with the hitting when Thomas Jane spits in her mouth, I'm like, brother, that this is just not necessary, (laughs) man. (laughs) I think that there is a version of this movie that is that goes all in on the the sexual aspect of it, and then I can see how the Thomas Jane character is he needs to be that nasty or that that transgressive, I guess. So um, to me, the interesting version of this is that the second hour is him trying to find her, and you can have Walter there with him, Billy or whatever, Thomas Jane, and mm-hmm. then that reveal and twist all happens in the last 10 minutes of the movie that happening so soon. It's like, okay. And then the first hour builds up. Who is this woman? She came in, she got all his money and got away. And then he finds her like five minutes later. It's like, Oh, and he falls for her again. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, I get it, you know, and I can even get a little bit the, the, you know, we were saying that Angela Jolie goes from being this, this expert con woman to becoming, just this helpless uh, victim, right? And but but I get it a little bit like the way that I put it in Contreras Corner. If if the movie's trying to tell us that everybody is vulnerable to falling for the wrong person, then okay, you know, we spend the first hour with Banderas being that that idiot that just can't look past his lust, and it's just like whatever it takes. I just I need this woman in it. I, I ignore everything, all the red flags. And then the second hour is like the big switcheroo where like this woman that has been taking advantage of him. Well, it turns out that she's also vulnerable to being taken advantage of by somebody else. I think that you can do something with that that setup. It's just that this movie doesn't develop it in any way that's satisfying because the Thomas Jane character is just so gross and so just hateful. Like with with Angelina Jolie, you can kind of like understand why, right? It's it's a lot easier to understand what he's using her. And I know that both men and women can be with people that from the outside we can see them as repulsive, right? Mm-hmm. But but 
when you're making a movie, you need to like you need to help me out. And so yep. I'm 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 watching it and I just I don't find Thomas Jane like I mean he's a good actor, but his character, the character he's playing here, like I don't and he's I don't have going that. for it. Yep. Yep. But but he's going for it in a way that turns me off. And I think yes. that maybe it would be a lot easier if I could see like, oh, I get it. You know, he's an asshole and he's he's abusive, but I can see why she's with him. Like I never see that here. You know, she tells that story about how like, oh, well, they grew up together and he's the one that like rescued her and whatever. But it's like it just isn't it's not as powerful when it's just her like giving a little bit of exposition. In between, you know, the the slapping scene and the dick joke scene, like it really doesn't hit you. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know how you fix it, but I just know that that's that's one of the big problems. I think that we can uh, we understand why Banderas is obsessed with her, but we don't. It's really hard to get in her mindset and understand why she lets Thomas Jane get the best of her. And maybe that is just that that kind of like privileged position of we're seeing it as dudes. So of course we're going to like understand the guy that's just horny for a really hot woman. And it's a lot harder to understand like the the hot woman that's being abused by somebody that's absolutely in theory, you know yeah. beneath her. But so I'd be curious, you know, like female listeners, let us know if you and it doesn't mean that you like the movie or that you think that the movie is good, but mm-hmm. do you if you watch original sin do you find yourself going, oh yeah, no, I get it. You know, she's she's in one one of those relationships, and that makes the movie maybe work a little better for you. Like, but I'm thinking, even if if that works for you, then I would be like, man, that that is not fun. Like that that depiction of that relationship is not fun in the way that it's fun to see Banderas be taken advantage of by Angelina yeah. Jolie. It, and I think that's the real problem, right? Like the. Uh, I'm all in to just like sit back and just have a good time watching Antonio Banderas lose all his money because he 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 got with the wrong mail order bride. Uh, <laughs> it's a completely different vibe seeing Angelina Jolie be victimized, abused, and you know by Thomas Jane. And then you know <laughs> you transition to that type of movie, like the really dark and nasty movie. But then by the end, she is switching clothes with the priest. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> conning people well, in Morocco. It's like, what it, the fuck happened? And not to mention that thing. I and mean, again, I that obviously can't speak from the female perspective. But when she sucks face right before she shoots him, like, gotta get, gotta get my licks in one last time. <laughs> to us, a short life, an exciting life. Don't do this. No other one. So ending on a positive note, I texted Julio before we hopped on here and we made allusion to it. And I believe we were both being genuine in Contrarian's Corner. The coffee scene at the end is without question the best thing in the entire movie. Yes. Uh, I The movie doesn't deserve that scene. <laughs> At just that good fucking all, especially at that point. Like we both said, we were both checked out of it and. It's the one scene in the movie where he's Antonio Banderas, she's Angelina Jolie. They bring their master class to it, and it's so good that it made me mad. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> You're exactly right. This movie doesn't deserve this. She is unbelievable in that scene, and he is too, just the way he's delivering his lines and everything. It's Look, we've talked about the, the bad and the worse of this movie, Uh I I could honestly recommend this movie with the you know the kind of warnings and that come along with it just for that 2 to 3 minute sequence at the end. Do you think the scene works without the rest of the movie before it? Or do you think that it's one of the reasons it works so well is because our expectations are kind of at the bottom by the time we get there and then suddenly they turn it up? Like, holy shit. So you appreciate it even more. And also, I guess on a more uh, like movie-like level, like the, the, you finally get to see this man take control. And you finally mm-hmm. get to see her have real emotions. Like, you really believe her emotions. I think the entire movie, I'm just like, is she really... Does she care or does she not care? Like, I, I couldn't tell. And But in that moment, it's because you're right, you know? The masks are off. Everything is as they're saying, like it's, it's a very honest moment between the two of them. So 
but do you get that feeling if you don't? Because, you know, I was saying, you know, I would just tell people, don't watch the movie, just watch that scene. But then maybe they would watch it and be like, what's the big deal? Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, it's Antonio Banderas and Angelina Jolie. You know, I was trying to think of an example of, you know, I'm a fatty. So my first thing goes to food. Like you get shitty bread before a steak that's just out of this world. It pops even more. Or, um, <laughs> or because Force Awakens and... I'm an adult, so I know Last Jedi was fantastic. Part of the thing that <laughs> made you realize how lucky we were for those was how fucking awful Rise of Skywalker was. Um, right. But the best example I could think of, because I am me after all, that's, that is an embodiment and kind of a, a very interesting analogy that I will probably make at some point in the future to professional wrestling. Pro wrestling <laughs> is original sin. You sit through unbearable offensive <laughs> shit because one thing happens that pays off and it makes it all worthwhile <laughs> the the coffee scene with angelina julia Danu banderas in this is daniel bryan winning the world title at wrestlemania 30 that's what it is <laughs> you put up with years and years of bullshit because you know something will eventually come uh is the sex scene at the early in the movie is it the first roxena match yeah it's like a good treat that you're given it's just kind of like here you go man <laughs> We're, we're rewarding you for hanging on. Uh, you're right. You're exactly right. If you watch it independent of itself, it will not at all come across as impressive as it is. It's an interesting thing because I think the we talked about already, the first hour of this is kind of fun. And if they kind of kept on that trail, you could have had a fun, bad movie. Uh, more in line kind of with the, the Ebert review we read. Mm -hmm. And then... Most of the second hour is bad and, like we discussed, offensive. But then, in that one scene, not even just the acting. Like, the way it's shot and the way it's lit and the dialogue in it. It's like everything this could have been came together in that one scene. And it does make it worth watching for that. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's she's just outstanding. And gave this movie way more than it deserved. And Antonio Banderas, no disrespect to him, but I think she achieves on a higher level than he does. Uh, in that scene, I think they're they're on equal footing. Yeah. I think that he falters a couple times during the during the movie. Like the, I I don't know. I honestly don't know how I feel about his drunk uh, sequences. Like I I kind of they are kind of like and, watching through your fingers. Like oh. Yeah, but I don't know, because kind of like what I was saying in Contreras Corner, there are moments where I'm like, I recognize that type of drunkenness, but <laughs> but it goes on for so long and he's he's just playing it so big the entire time that I, I just don't know. But in that moment, it's just, it's all very quiet. It's very, you know, it's just the movie taking itself seriously. And I believe based on, you know, what they both said, they... They thought they were making a good movie. You know, I don't think that they thought that they were making schlock. Like we're saying, oh, well, you know, if, if it was schlock, then it would be good because we would just be having fun. And I think that they were, they thought they were making an actual, like, seriously good movie. So that's why they, they were trying the entire time, and good for them. But it's, I think the people behind, you know, the, the, I guess this guy because he's written and directed by him, uh, Michael Christopher. It's. One of three movies he directed. He directed 1999's uh, Body Shots, which stars Sean Patrick Flannery, Jerry O'Connell, Amanda Pete, Tara Reid, Ron Livingston. And uh, then he also directed a movie from 2020 called The Night Clerk with Ty Sheridan and Helen Hunt, Anna Diarmas, John Leguizamo. Oh, that that's right. That's the connection with Angelina Jolie. He wrote and directed um, Gia. Oh, that was her breakthrough, right? Yes, that was the year before uh, what she went for. Girl interrupted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, so this is this was her reunion. Mm -hmm. uh, it's I I it's been too long since I've seen Gia to comment on it as far as the quality of it. But you're exactly right. Everyone involved in this thought they were making a really good movie, uh, and you can see. Christopher behind the lens, like, yes, this is it. This, this. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. And perhaps later on, I will tell you the story of how we came to be here. It is an 
interesting tale. So, Julio, I guess in closing, I want to ask you, how likely are you to check out the Mississippi Mermaid? Uh, I'm not going to say no. I thought you were going to ask me how likely am I to check out the unrated sex scene. And I was going to say very likely. Oh, yeah. Because I'm curious. You, you, you've <laughs> sold it to me as something that is completely different from what I watched. So, you know, in the name of science. This is, to- the, <laughs> this is the episode where we find out Julio's into different things than I am. <laughs> it and just then, blows your mind that I'm just like, this is Vanilla City. They, they do it different in Peru. I get it, man. Um, I'll see if I can. I'll... <laughs> Uh, when I come over to your house next weekend, I'll um, <laughs> I'll put it in a black plastic sack, you know, like when you buy porn at the video store, so you can. Uh, well, as far as the Truffaut movie, uh, I, yes, but not because of original sin. I mean, that I guess that adds uh, a wrinkle to it. I I've seen a couple of his movies and I remember liking them. So this just kind of I've always meant to watch more of his stuff. So this would add. Uh, an extra bit of motivation so the next whenever it happens that would be next on the on the list i guess but at the same time i don't it's not like i was captivated at this story to where i need to see what the french version is <laughs> give me more more are you are you gonna give it a whirl is that is that your next is that is that your mission now uh it looks like it's on prime so i mean We'll see. All right. Nut cutting time. This isn't good. This discussion, we actually got more out of it than I was expecting because we were on the same wavelength about things, but had different reasons why, uh, which is always good. Um, This has got to be a D, which would probably it generously would be two stars, I think, uh, from myself. What about you, Julio? One and a half. One and a half. I that scene, the coffee scene at the end, it's it really does a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> that, <laughs> that score. There's that and, and you know the fact that they're trying. I am completely like unmoved by the, the sex scene. So that doesn't really add or detract <laughs> to the to the rating. But I think that the performances are for the most part good even like thomas jane like i said i have issues with his character but i don't have issues with his commitment to <laughs> to the performance so that's that's good but overall yeah bad movie would not recommend not even as a curiosity like you said i would recommend the 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 coffee scene but then it's like the catches that you have to watch the rest of the movie before it so maybe not i don't know i think I, i'm more likely to talk about it than i am to ever tell anybody that they should watch it very fair point speaking of movies that no one should ever watch what are we doing next uh next a movie that that a lot of people watched and a lot of people liked we continue paying our live stream debt this time tackling the to julia roberts tier and for that one we said we would watch erin brockovich at 82 percent on the tomato meter and i kid also i I somehow long ago started a bit about hating on Julia Roberts on here, so I got to keep it going. I've seen this movie <laughs> once, and Same. I was was it before or after uh, it won the Oscar? After renting it on VHS, and um, I was fourteen or fifteen. It was just like the hot movie that people on TV were talking about, so I watched it, and de- definitely was too young to appreciate anything that it was really going for. But uh, Steven Soderbergh. The man, the myth, the legend coming back and Julia Roberts. Yeah, this is what got her her Oscar. And Two Face. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Eckhart is a fucking biker. <laughs> All right. So that was Original Sin. Hell of a time at the cinema. On deck next is Aaron Brockovich, Julia Roberts, leading lady Julia Roberts. Makes her long awaited debut on The Contrarians. But until then. That's going to do it for this episode, Julio. Let's get out of here. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. 
Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rutgeser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Receiving how much money you make to get a room, you know.